that's fundamentally because we believe the future is circular, you know, absolutely passionately. We've changed our, you know, not just our whole brand, but our ethos and everything towards being circular because we think it is the way everything is going to shift. And we want to be part of that and we want to try and pioneer that. Every time there's that cycle, you try and increase the value of that resource and material rather than decrease it. Whereas at the moment, a lot of people, you know, they perhaps recycle once, turn it into something else that actually has a lower value and then can't get recycled again. So it's a lost opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. It's episode 36, and I'm recording this on Friday the 11th of September 2020, after a busy week. On Tuesday, I did a keynote for the Sustainable Apparel and Textile Symposium, hosted by the University of Huddersfield. I introduced my ideas for parallel strategies for circular fashion, which I'll try and write about in the next few weeks. Then on Thursday, I did the first of two Circular Economy webinars for Berwick Educational Association, supported by the RSA. There are some places left for the second free webinar on Thursday the 1st of October. I'll put a link to the sign-up page in the show notes. Today we're talking to Dan Dicker, a product designer who's been working on circular designs for over 15 years. Dan's design agency was originally called A Short Walk Limited and has now been rebranded as Circular & Co., One of the earlier circular designs was a reusable cup, the R-Cup, made from discarded single-use coffee cups, designed to last 10 years and then to be recycled back into a new cup. That too has been renamed and is now the Circular Cup. We discuss Dan's design approach and how Dan believes that businesses going circular have everything to gain financially as well as environmentally. Having learnt about Circular & Co and talked to Dan, I went online to buy myself a Circular Cup and I'm very impressed with it. It's leak-proof, easy to clean and doesn't keep your drink at near boiling temperature for ages, unlike my stainless steel cup. Anyway, on to the episode. Today I'm talking to Dan Dicker, the founder and CEO of Circular & Co, the new brand name for A Short Walk Limited and R-Cup. Dan began his career as a product designer at Dyson, but had a strong desire to live and work a short walk from the sea. So back in 2003, Dan founded a pioneering circular design practice, a short walk. Now, Circular & Co. invents solutions that keep our materials and finite resources in use for as long as possible, whilst preventing them from, from ever reaching landfill or our oceans as well as their range of award-winning products available across 38 countries, they advise, develop and deliver circular solutions for global brands worldwide, reinventing today's waste into tomorrow's circular products. Dan, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you very much, Catherine. 
Much appreciated. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great. It's great to meet you. I've, um, I think I mentioned in our uh, email exchanges that a short walk had been on my circular economy database for four or five years, and uh, mm-hmm. I'd sort of had a look at what you were doing um, uh, back then. And uh, it's great to see all the uh, different products that you've been um, designing since then. And um, looking at your website, I'd like to say I love the circular checklist on the on the web pages choose recycled, challenge longevity, check recyclable. Is that message resonating with people? Um, do you know what? That, that's, that's something that we've come up with um, very recently, actually. Um, we've, we've undergone, the, as you mentioned, a, a rebrand recently, where we've moved from being a short walk limited to Circular & Co. Um, and and that, that's fundamentally because we believe the future is circular. You know, absolutely passionately we've changed our know, not just our whole brand but our ethos and everything towards being circular because we think it is the way everything is going to shift um and we want to be part of that and we want to try and pioneer that so that checklist was was an attempt by us really um internally to start thinking about how, how do we communicate to consumers about not just what being circular is all about and what is the circular economy because it is a broad a broad and quite complex subject but it's also how do we enable people to engage in it which i think is is going to be vital moving forward so the the answer is i'm not quite sure yet catherine but we will get there we'll let you know it's very new <laughs> yeah I, I really like it and the message that goes alongside that checklist says we all have a choice despite what's in front of us if it isn't matching up to your circular checklist, then scroll on to the next page. There's always a next page. You have that power. And that um, sort of resonates with a message that I like to give, which is, um, you know, we have the um, the power of the of the pound in our pocket, the money in our pocket. And we should use that to um, encourage and force change with with businesses. Um, and I think we forget that, don't we? We tend to just think that um, we get what we're given and, and forget that we have um, the power of our of our spending spending money and I, th- I think it's even more relevant now in a digital age where you know you're not limited by choice the choice is vast and, and if things don't match up to your expectations you can you can move on it's in your fingertips now isn't it I think years ago you, you were limited um, and you could only really take what you were given whereas now I think you have that ability to to search and scroll on and, and find those products that that you believe in, that, that you think are important. Um, you know, and there's an element of not being lazy for individuals. You know, it's easy to, to do the quick, the quick search and just plump for something. And it's just taking that little bit of extra time to see if, if you can find better. Um, you know, now more than ever, it, it's not just critical, but it's a bit easier for people. And, and I think there's a, you know, there's a chicken and egg situation with that scenario. We're saying to people, look, you know, if it's not good enough, move on to the next thing. But obviously people can only move on to what that they're also given. And, and, and there is still fundamentally a lack of products out there that are ticking that checkbox. You know, there's not many products made from waste materials. There's not many products made for longevity because um, a lot of business models are, are sadly looking at, a, a, you know, almost the polar opposite from a, from a model perspective. Um, and then there's certainly a very few products out there that are designed to be recycled at the end of their life like you know when we talk about recycle a lot of businesses hide behind the, the phrase recyclable you know they'll say yes it's recyclable 
but there's a big difference between recyclable and and something that can actually physically be recycled within the infrastructure that we've got in this country or other countries. Mm, I so, agree. And, and also but, recycled where it's likely to be consumed. You know, it's okay having something that could go in your household recycling, but if you're likely to use that um, on the go or um, out doing sports or whatever, how easy is it for you to get it recycled out there? Um, yeah, completely. You know, yeah. And, and so how much do you think the push for circular needs to come from us as citizens and consumers? Um, I, I think now more than ever, because I think, you know, we, we kind of, we've been designing products out of waste materials for 17 years. So, you know, we are kind of, when we say, oh, we've, we've helped to pioneer a circular movement, it was quite naively. It wasn't a conscious decision 17 years ago. It's just, we, we believe, you know, I used to design products for Dyson. And, and when I was at Dyson, I thought we, we could be doing this better. I was aware of technology where we could make certain products out of waste materials, but for what for, for logical reasons back then we weren't. So when I left, um, I, you know, that was one of the key pillars for us is to, is to always make waste, make product from, from waste materials. So we've been doing it a long time. And over that period, you know, the circular economy has kind of grown and grown and grown but it's been in largely academia and big industry and government levels and it's not yet got to consumers um but the key the key aspect of closing this loop and becoming circular is to involve consumers and, and we've talked about the power they have well time and time again you know there's so many examples where change hasn't really occurred until it's been led by consumers and demand so you can scream and scream at big industry and businesses to say, please make your products out of waste materials. But if they don't have to, they kind of won't, you know, and, and that's not necessarily born out of laziness. It's born out of other constraints and everybody's busy and it's harder to do it. Um, it's not necessarily more expensive, but it's definitely harder. So companies don't prioritize it until they've almost been, almost been pushed. Um, one example, actually, is one of the products that we do, and I think you mentioned the, the Circular Cup. It was was the R Cup, but with the brand change, it's now Circular. Um, you know, that that actually only came about. We, we weren't consciously looking at designing that product, but we were asked um, because, of, because of consumer demand. So three, two and a half, three years ago, Hugh Fernley-Wittenstall on the BBC did a programme around the Cups. It was very well publicised. Um, uh, really about how the public were being deceived and everyone thought that paper cups were being recycled because there was a recycling logo on there. Um, when in reality, and we, this goes back to our reusable conversation, it's like, yes, they are recyclable. Um, sorry, recycled, they are recyclable, but they weren't being recycled because there wasn't an infrastructure built around it to do it. Um, so off the back of that, the, the, the sort of coffee industry, the big players in the coffee industry kind of approached approached us and said you know we, we we need to solve this problem um can you think of circular ways to to do that um so that that's when it came to our attention um, and we looked at how we could potentially recycle paper cups in a in a more in a far more simple way um less energy consumption um and not having to separate the inner liner of the paper cup and then once we once we'd um cracked that with some of our some of our partners um the obvious product to then do was a reusable because obviously it puts you know an incentive back on the consumer that you're not just 
trying to eliminate paper cups, but by adopting a reusable, um, and, and that, that also helps. So it, it wasn't something that was on our radar at all, but that was led. That was fundamentally led by um, an awareness campaign and then consumers demanding better. That was the only reason I believe that the big industry kind of moved on it. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's a really good example of how yeah. change comes about. Yeah, it's interesting um, how that kind of... Um, we kind of assume a level of knowledge um, about things and it, it's just not there. I saw some research, I think it was by ING Bank, that said people expect business to, to do, be doing the right thing anyway and they're mm -hmm. kind of shocked to find out that they're not. And I guess, you know, those of us who used paper cups um, 5, 10, 15 years ago sort of assumed that that coating on the inside was probably wax or something else that, you know, would just get recycled as part of the recycling, paper recycling process. But once you find out it's actually a separate, very thin plastic liner, um, you then realise that it's not going to go through the mixed paper recycling and that actually you've got something that looks benign and it and it's not at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that was the um, the key to... Fernley Whittingstall's programme was getting people to understand that something that looked innocuous just wasn't at all and could be contributing to um, microfibres in, in the oceans and all the rest of it. So, yeah. um, and in uh, on, on the website, I noticed that after 10 years use, um, which is itself a, you know, a, a durable cup, isn't it? But after that, um, people can return the cup to you to be recycled and regenerated into another circular cup. So can you tell us a bit about how that works? Yeah, sure. And that, that's, you know, the key, the key to circular economy is, is, that, is that kind of end bit. I think a lot of companies say they're circular um, because they just make products out of waste material or, or turn it and then turn that waste into another product and then tend to think the job's done there. Um, when actually, you know, the whole purpose of circular economy is you keep that cycle going on and on and on and on. Uh, and every time, importantly, every time there's that cycle, you try and increase the value of that resource and material rather than decrease it. Whereas at the moment, a lot of people, you know, they perhaps recycle once, turn it into something else that actually has a lower value and then can't get recycled again. So it's a lost opportunity. So that's the focus and key. Um, so I think, um, you know, our attempt, a take-back scheme is an attempt for us to recapture that material and have it back to us so that we can turn it back into a new product and technically it's not particularly hard so the big the big challenge when we look at our waste streams internally as a company the the big the bit the, the time the big challenge is that as soon as you've made a product and sold it and kind of released it onto the market you've lost control of that material it's in someone else's hands so the big challenge is to then try and get it back um you know and that can that can be via the company and saying, look, we'll, we'll take it back. Or obviously it can be through infrastructure in the UK or whatever country you're in. You know, ideally there'd be a right bin somewhere for you to put it in, or at the end of its life, you can put it in your curbside recycling and it will go through the system. Um, but the foolproof way is to say, look, we'll, we'll please have it back. Um, and and certain com some companies might think, well, that's going to be costly. You know, well, can we really offer that? But again, circular economy principles is that that material has value um, and it's not 
it is more cost effective to get that material back and reuse it again than it would be to invest in virgin materials. Um, so there's, 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 from a financial perspective, there's everything to gain as well as an environmental. So I think a lot of companies don't haven't quite clued into that. Um, and and as, as we know, the circular economy really was born out of an economic model to save money um, rather than environmental. It just so happens, really, as the movement's got bigger and bigger, re people realise that there are huge environmental benefits from a circular economy. But fundamentally, what underpins it all is a, is a, is a way of saving money. You know, so I think whether you're a small business or a huge global corporate, it's it, the, we talk about a penny dropping moment, but very often when we advise bigger companies about becoming circular, it's only it's only when the penny drops around the economics that they're, that they're thinking, well, this I can't believe we've not even started to look at this yet. Um, so so sorry, going back to your original question, you know, of, of the take back scheme, that that there's huge benefits to us doing that from an environmental perspective, but we also get the material back and it's easier just to quite literally regrind that material um, and make it straight back into another cup. Um, and and, it's, that, all, and that, that's... it's all about designing with the end in mind, isn't it? That if you've, if you've designed to, um, the product and thought about the bill of materials, knowing that you want to recover the the, the product at the end of its useful life and make it back into something of equivalent value, then you can um, put the right design criteria in place. Um, but if you design yeah. and, and just assume you're never going to see it again, um, then that leads you down a different path. Oh, massively. And I think that's, that's kind of what's been going wrong, really, in all honesty, is, is most, even now, most products are designed without that aspect in mind at all. It's kind of a an over the wall approach, really. You design it, make it, and sell it, and then effectively don't want to really hear about it again. Um, and I think, and I think, you know, I really believe that legislation will catch up with that long longer term. And any company that's still dealing in that model now will, will eventually get caught out sooner rather than later. You know, I do, I do think there will be those companies that that look to become circular now will be at the forefront of a, at a time where we'll be forced to do it anyway. So any company not looking at it is, is, is living dangerously. I think you, you're, it won't be long until you'll be responsible for what you put on the market yeah. um, and, and have, have to have it back or have things in place to be able to, for it to be recycled within an existing infrastructure. Yeah, um, I think you're right. We, you know, it's the extended producer responsibility legislation mm. that we need. And, you know, the statistic that always um, shocked me was finding out that even though we have levies in place for all the packaging that's put on the market in the UK under the um, European Union um, legislation, that the money that comes back from that only pays for about 10% of the cost of the collection and recycling by local councils. So mm. that's ridiculous, isn't it? How How are you ever going to encourage companies to do something better with packaging and how are you ever going to fund a better recycling infrastructure you yeah know, it, it just seems um you know really short-sighted yeah. so you you were saying that circular co designs other products too not just the ones that are for sale on your website but you're designing for commercial clients um so of the products you've designed over the last 17 years which ones are you most proud of That's... That's a good question. You know, on a, I think um, 
on a personal level, you know, the, the, the real value and the reason I got into design is that you're taking a something that's an idea in your head when you're sat in the bath or sat in a train. There always seems to be trains, by the way. I think I think um, the more we can get back to trains, the more creativity will start flowing through this this great nation of ours. And 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 you know, I can't I can't. I think every good idea we ever have comes from sitting on a train. You, you can't concentrate on a car in a car, can you? You know, car stifles innovation. <laughs> um, so bring back the trains quickly. But so, um, yeah, the, in, in terms of from a design perspective, I think the, the, the cup, the reusable circular cup has been brilliant because people have really engaged with that and people really, really enjoy it. And from a social perspective and social media, we always get such positivity and, I still remember the day when we saw a cup, our first cup being held by a member of the public in Exeter service stations with my with my two lads, you know, and they came running over to me and I'm like, Daddy, Daddy, there's someone over there with a with an R cup, as it was called then, you know, and it was like really exciting because that was that was just an idea in a head. Um, and then 18 months later, there's someone using it um, and doing good with it. So, you know, that that's been especially proud because it, you know we've, we've seen it right through from just a, a thought in a head to people using it it, it made it, it makes a difference um but then we've done other ranges as well that we've been proud of where we did you know we did a load of um a, a range of products made from plant pots recycled plant pots um for garden centers but then at the same time we instigated a collection service so that if you, you if a customer could come in and drop off their old pots and Let's face it, we've got hundreds of them in our garden sheds sort of stacking up. Um, you could drop your old pots off and at the same, next to the bin where you drop them off would be a range of products made from those exact pots that, you've, you know, that you're dropping off. And that, that was really, we were really proud of that because again, it was a sort of penny dropping moment for consumers and people were like, blimey, you know, these old pots that are just piling up in my shed They've got value in use and they can be turned into something really nice and beautiful. And, you know, I think it's important to design products, you know, that the, the cup, you know, won lots and lots of awards and it, it won the witch award. And, and But that's made from waste. You know, it's important to show people that just because it's made from waste does not mean in any way it's going to be inferior. Um, it's still going to be a really good functioning quality product. So it's quite, it's quite proud to, to, to get that message across to people and products are great for doing that and when you know we advise a lot of other companies and we we often say a lot you know nothing says it better than a product that you've got in your hand once people realize that that they can see it for themselves and then they start believing in it i think there is a i think generally the public could tend to be a bit um negative around recycling as, as you mentioned earlier you know there's that slight disbelief you know if i do put it in a recycling bin does it does it really get recycled or, you know, where does it go? You know, and, and I think it's important to show people that it does go somewhere and it does get used. And then I think they will engage more. You know, engagement is, is king, really. Yeah. And just just value out there. Exactly. Just on the last podcast, uh, Greg Lavery of Ripe Office was talking about a recycled um, material that they've been putting on um, big conference room and boardroom tables. Um, you know, all made out of of uh, waste products, um, and it it looks, um, you know, they can create different designs with it. It's not just one, uh, you know, kind of mixed up color. And the story behind that helps engage people. So, 
he was giving the example of a um, you know a solicitor's office where people might be worried about how much is this going to cost me and all the rest of it. And if you you know you kind of walk in and you have a conversation about a recycled tabletop, um, it kind of starts to form the relationship between the client and the and the and the company. Um, that mm. you know you you started to think oh you know these guys care about about something and you know it's much more interesting than you know a sort of swanky. Um, top end design thing that the customer was thinking oh how much did that cost <laughs> yeah um, so yeah. Uh, yeah i think there are you know, know we, we go on sorry sorry yeah i was just going to say we we when we design for other brands we we often use a you know it's more sometimes it's more compelling um i'm trying to, without without sort of giving names away but if you're if you've got a restaurant um we talk about touch points for consumers you know and, and you could design some quite fancy high-end products made from waste that you can give to people. But actually, if you make your hand dryer in the toilets out of waste materials, that's actually more of a compelling story because they feel then you're embedding it within everything you're doing. Um, you know, and I think you've got to start earning people's trust. People don't engage with you until they trust you, really. Um, and, and some of these bigger brands can be deemed quite quite negative brands. So... You know, it's in their interest to, to to bring in that trust, but do it in a in a softer kind of way rather than a big shouty kind of way. It's just let's just start doing it, and people will notice you're doing it, and then start to trust you a bit more. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And so, in the seventeen years that you've been doing circular design, um, what challenges have you have you faced as you've built up the business? Um, it's, it's a it's a great question. I think from from a there's personal challenges, there's very business specific challenges, and then there's kind of industry wide challenges. Um, you know, and I think at any any small business when they're starting, um, I think you you do have to accept that if you're gonna if you're gonna get anywhere in the world, you've got to start. You have to come at things differently. You can't just do another Me Too product and join join the masses. You know, there's got to be something different, um, whether it's the way you approach your business model or your products but so that in that in theory and in practice is going to give you challenges so I don't think you can start a business without accepting you're going to face some quite serious challenges um so I guess you know I, th I think from a very business perspective and an individual perspective one thing I've learned over the years um is that that you, you can have a very a very profitable well a, a very great you can have a really straight line in terms of turnover as your business grows you know it turnovers you know x a year and it's and it looks all on the right scale and it's going upwards and it looks very sort of linear and it's like this is really good but what i have learned is that your profitability underpinning that that very straight line is incredibly flexible it's a it's a huge wavy curve you know and you hit these peaks and troughs where you know you're doing really well and, and making lots of profit, but then of course you need to reinvest and get more people and more staff and a bigger premises and more tooling. And then, and then you're trough again into to this area where it's like, Oh, crikey, you know? So I've learned it's a very steep and um, wavy curve business. And I think before I started, I didn't appreciate that at all. I think you just looked at your turnover and this nice linear line and thought, yeah, that, that that's a good, healthy business. Um, so I've, I've learned I've learned that over the years. Um, the other challenges from a circular perspective um, has been 
I guess barriers, especially with big industry, where we advise big industry, there's always going to be barriers. Very often it's cost initially. There's a perception that if it's going to be made out of waste materials or circular, designed to be recycled, designed for longevity, it's going to cost more, when in reality it, it doesn't. You know, we've proved time and time and time again that it, it's a win-win situation for big business. They'll get a product made from waste that costs the same. It very often just replaces like for like with what they're already purchasing anyway. So they're not having to pay any more for something. They're getting the same product, but made from their waste and closing the loop. So, it, you know, 9.5 times out of 10, it's a complete win-win for, for everybody. Um, and it's trying to get that across because there's always these barriers. Um, don't get me wrong, sometimes there has to be a degree of flexibility. Your marketing department might have to accept a new product that is a slightly different colour. You know, there isn't the, the whatever colour they wanted. So you have to get everybody on board from an early from an early stage. That's one thing we've learned um, is get all the stakeholders in that room right at the beginning. So everyone's aware of the changes that might have to take place or how things might have to be done slightly differently. Um, and if you can do that, you'll, you'll have a lot more success because very often in an, an industry, you'll find that from the, the CEO is, is hugely in favour of becoming more circular and is demanding it. But actually, when you get down further down to the people who then got to try and deliver it, um, you know, it, it's that message gets filtered and diluted as it, the further it goes down, it seems. Um, that, that's definitely one of the challenges. Um, yeah, that's a so, great. Yeah, but, that's uh, a great tip. You know, I to think, kind of try um, and find that, try and find the right message for each one of the stakeholders, and and think about what other pressures or KPIs do they have to meet, and and how does this help them, help them with that? I mean, yeah. from the marketing department, if it isn't their perfect colour, um, you know, that's possibly a negative. But the positive is, here's a fantastic story that you can tell about the product or the packaging. Oh, massively. Yeah. You know, and I think we talk about challenges. It's, it's good to talk about the positives as well, because, you know, the huge positives in becoming circular is that it's, it is, in our eyes anyway, inevitable. So I think, if you know, you always want to be running a business or in a, in a sector that's always growing. You know, no one really wants to be in a sector that's shrinking. Um, and there's absolute 100% conclusive evidence that the circular world is just going to keep growing. Um, so I think, you know, there's huge opportunities there in terms of becoming part of that and always being in a, in a world that's moving forward and wanting to grow. And that's backed inevitably by legislation, not just consumer behaviour, but, you know, it's kind of primarily backed by all the boxes that you want to tick in a sustainable long term business. Um, so I do urge I do urge people that, you know, it's a huge opportunity, a massive opportunity. Yeah, that's a great point that it's, you know, it's becoming the um, becoming seen as the way to go. It's kind of, you know, be circular or, or be seen as square. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Like it. yeah, definitely. Well, if you, if you look at the statistics, it's only going to go that way. You know, I think there's the latest statistics. Is it this last year was 100 billion, 100 billion tons of material we consumed and only 8.6% of it were turned into something else and reused again, which is. Now, it's just painfully obvious that that's not sustainable and, and it's got to change uh, and will have to change. So legislation will eventually catch up. Yeah. Um, but, but 
almost going back to our original question, it's like, while we wait for the big wheels of industry to change, there's things we can do right now as, as consumers to, to start making that change and driving it. So rather than feeling like that's for someone else to deal with and governments, um, you know, that 8.6 could change quite remarkably by just consumer behaviour. And that, that's an overnight thing. Yeah, that's a great point. And going back to the um, the message on your website, there's a, there's always a next web page. You have the power to power to click onto another page if you don't um, if you if you're not happy with what you're seeing in front of you before you buy. Yeah, yeah, demand better. People can demand better. They have that option. But I guess people need to be aware of what is better. You know that culture we've been we've been given a you know we've been spoon fed a culture since the Second World War of mass consumption. So people are, you know, that's what people do. We've kind of all been programmed and we've all been, I think every one of us has been guilty of a bit of a carefree, carefree consumption over the last few decades without really contemplating what's going on. And it's only now, which is a huge positive, but it's only now that everyone's woke up and thought, what have, what have we been doing? Mm. <laughs> you know, I can't, should I really be buying a £10 tent before I go to a festival and then leaving it there? You know, it's just... It seems ludicrous now, really, that, that that we got to that point. And I do think we've hit that precipice now and we're we're coming down the other side of awareness. Mm. You know, it's only I do believe after perhaps COVID, because we've hit another peak with COVID around single use. Um, you know, I think as as COVID hopefully touch or dissipates, um, we'll come over that, start heading back down that precipice of mass consumption. And I think, you know, consumers won't be driven by know how much stuff i can buy you know success isn't driven by how much stuff i've got it's more driven by how little stuff i've got mm. um and i think that will change definitely yeah i agree yeah and, let, and let's hope it accelerates so dan yeah. who, who would you recommend as a future guest for the podcast um i'm you know what i'm going to recommend a, a chap called gavin chrisman who i used to work with at dyson um he was in marketing um, and he, without wanting to um, big him up too little because I was his best man as well. <laughs> so, um, but he, he's, he's another local company to us that, um, that he designs and makes some beautiful products out of waste materials, all to do, well, a lot to do with, with garden. And, but there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful product called a bee brick um, that's designed um, for... Um, bees to nest in um, and, and and then as we know that bees are struggling at the moment in terms of you know they're, they're declining and they need every help they can get and there's there's a beautiful product that we could all use that's made out of waste materials um, and he he was my partner in crime you know we both moved to Cornwall around the same time um, and we both worked in my shed together for a couple of years whilst we tried to set up our businesses and so um, you know he, he he's followed a similar journey to me and he's doing similar things. So, and I, and I know he'll have a similar outlook and is doing some beautiful products that people will be interested in. So I definitely recommend. So what, what was his surname? I didn't quite catch that. Chrisman. Chrisman. Gavin Chrisman. And the yeah. company's called? Green and Blue. Green and Blue. Excellent. And Dan, how can people find out more about you and about Circular & Co.? You know what, the, the easy answer is to say, you know, obviously look at our website, but what I also want to say is hopefully you'll hear about us, you know, in the next coming years, you know, that's our mission. 
And I don't mean that selfishly. You know, if you look on our website, our, our mission is to promote the circular economy, not promote ourselves, you know, because we're that passionate about that being a, a workable solution to right, to right some of the global wrongs at the moment. And I think we all, we, we all need to hear about solutions. We've all heard about the negativity and what's wrong and how bad it is. But right now we need more than ever. We need solutions and positivity. And, and we've kind of stumbled across a way of doing something that we know works and is a positive solution. So we're, we just want to promote that. Um, you know, and we're, the beauty of being a family run business is that you can have those outlooks and, and views on things and morals and, and not your whole focus isn't on a dividend return at the end of the year it's about trying to do good so hopefully you'll hear about us because we're, we're going to shout shout loud and proud about what we're doing and what we want other people to do brilliant and the website is circular and and co co circular and co uh, and i'll put that link in the show notes so people can find that and i think i'll be going um, straight back to the website having had a look this morning and uh, spotted a clock um, that uh, I think would look quite good on on the wall behind me <laughs> that you yeah, can see now. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, we do lots. There's 50 other type of products that we do, so it's quite quite a vast range over the years. Yeah, it looks great. Dan, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us and tell us about Circular & Co and the new Circular Reusable and Recyclable Cup. And uh, I wish you every success with the next phase of brilliant circular designs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's much appreciated. Thanks, Catherine. I noticed that Dan reinforced what we learned from Steve Haskew of Circular Computing in episode 24 and Greg Lavery of Ripe Office in episode 33. They both talked about the need to find the value for each of the different groups involved in the decision process. Dan gave the example of the marketing team, who might be concerned about a slight colour change if recycled materials are used to replace virgin materials. But, as we discussed, there's a much more engaging story the marketing team can use for the circular product. Often, the customer likes that story so much, they tell other people about it, making your marketing budget go much further. Dan was very clear about the cost benefits of using recycled materials, and that if you're not finding ways to recover the product and materials you put into the world, it's a lost opportunity. Dan's message at the start of the episode was, the future is circular. And it's noticeable how companies are starting to get on board now, planning their circular journeys and working out how they can redesign. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my award-winning book, a Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can find the podcast show notes with transcripts and links on rethinkglobal.info. Please let us know what you'd like us to feature on the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get in touch via our website, rethinkglobal.info or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time. <laughs>